Hey everyone, how you all doing? This is uh, Tom, uh, Heads on Sticks, uh, and a big thank you to checking out the Heads on Sticks Chats uh, episode 19. Uh, really, really excited for this one. Yeah, it's been great this podcast. It's been great to um, just, you know, sort of talk, talk to your heroes. And uh, I kind of, you know, it's one of those episodes where I thought, yeah, I'd never, never, just never thought I'd ever talk to her. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, I think you'll enjoy this one. Um, just to say, as always, uh, do please subscribe uh, on whatever your chosen platform is. Uh, subscribe to the podcast or give it a like or a thumbs up or a star or, or whatever, however it is that you, um, however it is that you like it. Um, and if you're feeling particularly generous, give us a written review on Apple. Um, it'd be much appreciated. Uh, okay, so uh, the guest of episode 19 is uh, Alison Statton. Um, most people know her as the lead singer of uh, Young, Young Marble Giants uh, and their kind of sort of seminal soul studio album they had, uh, Colossal Youth, in 1980. Um, and it's a real... It's just a it's just a timeless kind of piece of nocturnal minimal kind of post punk uh but it's not you know it's not spiky or or alienating or kind of you know or or i should say themes of alienation you know you could sort of compare it i suppose to unknown unknown pleasures uh sort of joy division stuff or very early cure uh but it, it it's a it's not a bleak album by any means it's quite a soft sort of um unassuming album uh, and you know it's just incredible songwriting and uh, song craft and this kind of sort of pared down um, uh, gentle minimal minimalism uh, to it which you know it just kind of gives it this timeless uh, quality and Staten's voice in particular is a very unique uh, uniquely kind of um, unassuming uh, it's not obvious it's not it's not you know it doesn't have any ego to it, you know, in a, in a strange way. But it, it makes the makes the whole it ties everything together on the album. Her voice kind of just adds this kind of organic um, earthiness. Could, could I say that? Is that is that? Could I say earthiness? But um, uh, yeah, just a very, just a very unique voice, and certainly uh, has proven a kind of inspiration. I think uh, to a lot of kind of indie kind of singers and. Um, uh, and you know, inspired many people. One of them being Kurt Cobain, quite famously, and Hol- uh, Courtney Love, obviously covered uh, credit from the uh, credit in the straight world. Uh, but you know, she's not confined to Young Marble Giants. She also formed Weekend, um, which, which and they also had, only ever had one album, but that's a great album as well. Uh, but kind of more more of a sort of slightly jazzy uh, kind of direction. Uh, and albums with um, uh, Ian Pinkham, or better known as uh, Ian Divine on the uh, Divine and Staten, those two albums, and uh, Spike Williams, uh, so that's kind of what she's been doing more recently, um, uh, sort of uh, with Alan, work with Alan Spike Williams, and that's uh, uh, that's some really um, interesting material, especially The Shady Tree, anyone that's interested in kind of like um, atmospheric, ambient, glitchy sort of electronics, uh, the, the late, late 90s album, The Shady Tree, very ahead of its time, um, uh, and, and feels sort of completely at home with with artists like uh, I don't know uh, maybe Grimes you know 10 years ago or current artists like EBU in Bristol um, yeah so I was actually really really um, 
fortunate enough to catch uh, Young Marble Giants uh, when they did a, uh, a series of dates about 10 years ago, I think it was 2013, uh, but I did manage to see them in Union Chapel, uh, and they were fantastic. They, were, they, they played they played great, the song sounded great, Her vo- uh, Staten's voice was uh, was, was on, on point, and uh, uh, yeah, it was a real thrill. Uh, one, of those, um, one of those gigs where I remember thinking to myself, I, n- I just never thought I'd see them. Uh, and I never thought I'd be speaking to her, so uh, Alison Staten. So that's great. So um, yeah, I'm really excited for this, and I hope you you guys enjoy it. I'm sure you will. So yeah, uh, heads on six chats, episode 19 with um, Alison Staten. Let's do it. episode 19 uh, with yourself, uh, Alison Staten. Thank you for uh, coming along. It's great to have you on the podcast. Um, I was just going to ask you, uh, how did the um, how did the jazz reimagining go of your of your of your work at the, the Millennium Center? That was lovely, actually. It was completely um, something I had no involvement in whatsoever. Uh, apart from you know being involved in the material which they were reimagining mm-hmm. and um yeah there was uh, a group of students from the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama who were actually doing an interpretation of um various young marble giants weekend and Staten and Spike they did a Staten and Spike song as well Oh, and uh, it was really it was so interesting to um because I haven't listened to this music for so long now mm. and you know I'd hear an intro and I wouldn't know where it was going because it would be so unlike particularly the young marble giants ones it would be so unlike you know um the original music mm. and uh it was really fascinating to hear their interpretation and there were one or two which they stuck you know weekend ones which they stuck a little bit more closely to the original um, format and melody. So there was uh, a great drummer, phenomenal double bass player. Um, yeah, Phil Moxon would have been absolutely proud of her. He, She did a, an amazing job. Oh, brilliant. And uh, it turned out she was actually Paula Gardner's daughter. Now, Paula Gardner um, worked with us on a couple of tracks. She did a TV um live broadcast with us and uh i think if i'm right i think spike actually taught her guitar from the very beginning and then she went on to um be head of jazz at the welsh college of music and drama so that was that was really interesting it was quite um quite emotional actually to sit there looking at these kind of uh young men and women thinking gosh, we were that young when we were doing all this. Um, And actually to realise that there was a body of music because I had a lot of, um, you know, self-criticism and and kind of, you know, things were never quite as I wanted them to be or were never, you never reach perfection. There's Mm. always something you would change or do differently. And actually to sit back, not be involved and hear someone else 
perform your music. And um, it was, yeah, it was a really healthy exercise, I would say, to listen and not be so critical and actually appreciate the songs um, rather than worrying about wasn't going, you know, what's not going right with them. So it was, uh, it was fun. It was good. Good to hear and, uh, you know, good to see young students. There's so many young uh, jazz musicians coming through now, as you'll know, being in London, you know, mm. um, you've got Ezra Collective and uh, Newbig Garcia and all these, you know, young, very young, very, very talented jazz musicians um, coming through and getting the opportunity to study as well, you know. Yeah of uh, those those kind of lessons being available um, for them to pick up an instrument and and explore yeah no I, I think that's the, that's a the crucial thing isn't it is access you know it's uh, one thing to have talent but you know to, to make sure that there's there are these avenues which feel quite under threat with the last 10 years with 10 13 years of you know economic policy you know yeah because um, yeah, cuts in schools and yeah. you know even even if it is available in schools, there is still a cost, you know, for parents mm. and with so many families actually struggling to cover the basics. Um, yeah, it's really important that those avenues are opening up somewhere for, for youngsters to kind of uh, get their hands on an instrument and and explore it and see if it's for them. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And that must have been quite interesting because, you know, as you say, you know, weekend, you know it, that that has a jazzy component to it, and it kind of naturally lends itself to further jazz interpretation. But that's quite a quite a creative um, challenge to take some of those young marble giant songs. That it kind was of it was, minimal. but they did it. They did it really well. Yeah, they did it really. Well. I wish I'd recorded it. Really, you know, right. I don't know if anyone did, but um, it it was yeah, it is a challenge, and they you know they did it themselves. It was mm. the students that took it on. Um, and they did it really, really well. What's, uh, what's your earliest musical memories? So in terms of listening to music, it would be what my parents and my brother and sister. So my brother and sister um, were 12 and 13 years older than me. Mm -hmm. So they were, you know, kind of... Uh, bringing records into the house long before I was thinking about any record collection or anything. And it was really varied. My father would just listen to anything, the full range. You know, it didn't matter if it was opera, classical, um, rock and roll, country, you know, anything. He just loved music. He, he was all, um, and I think partly he was, um, he was very partially sighted, so he's blind in one eye, very poor eyesight in the other eye. And I think for him, sound was, you know, sound and touch, those were kind of um, so important to him because on the visual side and, you know, all the other senses, I think, were just heightened slightly. Um, and he was always whistling and he was always singing and, um, and he wasn't trained. No, nobody in my family were, were trained musicians. Um, my mother had learnt p 
piano, but by the time I came along, there was no piano in the house and she'd given up playing. She'd, uh, she was a touch typist, so she just put her fingers to work on uh, being a typist at that point. Right. Um, but she came from the Orkney Islands, so I can remember dancing on my father's feet, you know, to um, jigs and reels, you know, Orcadian music, fiddle accordion bands and things like that. Um, and my brother and sister were bringing in the Beatles, you know, the Rolling Stones. Um, my friend up the road, her sister had a fantastic Motown collection. Right. And she was just always, she was she was working and she was always buying. I mean, she spent all her money every weekend on buying new new singles. So when she was out of work and it was school holidays, we would be sneaking in and hopefully not scratching and playing her uh, her music collection while she wasn't there. So I was very spoilt, really, in terms of having a very, very wide um, selection of music kind of going on around me, whether it was in my own home or my friend who lived a few few doors down the street. So, Sure, yeah. I mean, that, that kind of uh, healthy mix of, I don't, I don't want to say low culture, you know, but but pop music you know and uh and kind of you know your, your your opera and your uh your classical from your from your parents side and, your, and, your, and the folk music there's a there's a nice wide range of um uh of, there's there's very little there's, there's a nice broad horizon there isn't there for for yeah. kind of future yeah. musical uh pursuits you know um what what was your relationship with punk you know when it when you first kind of when punk first landed and you first became aware of it and yeah because obviously you know young marble giants is is broadly speaking a, a post-punk band and colossal youth is, is often you know collated as being you know it's a sort of you know it's always on every post-punk list isn't it you know that album you know but you know i, I do find there's a quality to young marble giants that's uh feels one foot in punk, one foot out. If that makes sense, you know what. When you first heard punk, what what was your relationship? What was your relationship with it? What did it mean to you? Was it was it this electrifying, liberating thing, or was it for you maybe just a more of a means to an end to make other kinds of that you know to make the music you wanted to make? Or so for me, it was it was just you know it was just something else to explore in terms of listening now, not in terms of performing. Um, it was just. Uh, another another band to go and see another you know type of music to listen to because I think that that um my kind of broad interest has has just continued from the word go really mm. um I've never considered myself a, a musical snob uh, well I, you know maybe now and again I've caught myself but <laughs> overall I can appreciate you know there's room for all kinds of music um and I, I mean, I saw the Sex Pistols clash, you know, and I just remember, I just remember the excitement about not only um, the music, but the fashion around it, you know, mm. it was so out there and it was, you know, it was uh, at the time kind of the next, you know, the next way to be outrageous. And I, I didn't go down that route um, fashion-wise, but I remember going to clubs and it just being a bit surreal, you know, walking into a club with everybody with uh, bin bags and, you know, brightly spiked hair and and uh, safety pins everywhere. And, you know, it was just, a, it was just 
an adventure. It was a bit like going to um, a little bit of an art installation, really. So mm -hmm. it wasn't just about the music. It was about everything. And it was just about people feeling like, you know, they 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 had the reins on being rebellious. Um, in terms of the music, it had, it had a lot of energy to it. I wouldn't say... Musically, I suppose, although there were women out there doing it, it felt like a very male kind of hard energy at the mm. time. Um, and it wasn't something overall that I would be putting on my turntable, but it was a great thing to go and see live, go and listen to live. Yeah, I mean, listening back, I kind of almost have a greater respect for some of it now you know, listening to it in hindsight. Sure. How, how often does that happen for you? You know, because I mean, it must be a really surreal thing because it's, you know, it's one thing to be a massive pop star and, you you, you know, you, you get used to hearing your own songs. But I, su I suppose there must be times where you're just, you know, I don't know, you're just doing something in the house where you've got six music on and all, all of a sudden Young Mob of Giants comes on. How often does that happen really for weird. you? It's weird. Yeah. Uh, more often than I ever dreamed it would. Right. Um, it, it is pretty bizarre. And I, yeah. I can remember the kids, you know, when they were younger mm. and, uh, you know, I'd be cooking tea or I'd be, you know, kind of out putting the rubbish out or something and they'd be going, mum, 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 you're on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I guess, I mean, I don't know the age of your your kids, but I suppose that there might have been, there were young kids throughout the 90s. So it's possible they might have heard some Staten and Spike stuff as well, right? Just maybe, maybe. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. I mean, they they were, by the time I was into Staten and Spike stuff, um, you know, they were around. They were kind of, um, yeah, they would be in the background or mm. they would be, uh, you know, off with their dad in the park while I got a quick five minutes to do some recording or something sure. like that. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's great. Um, so, you know, as I understand it, Young Marble Giants um, started in Adamsdown. Is that right? Yeah, it was, um, yeah, Adam's Down, and we were practising in it. It was it was an old shop, which now is, um, it's a centre for the homeless now. It's been, but it was this old shop front, which were just, it was blacked out. And we were, so Stuart was living there with another housemate, and Phil and I used to go there, and uh, we'd rehearse in, in the old shop front in, in Adam's Down, and... Uh, do our recordings on a, a kind of cassette tape and reel-to-reel -reel tape. And it was all very, very basic. Um, yeah, usually freezing cold in the winter. Um, so lots of layers. But uh, yeah, it was all very, very DIY with, uh, you know, kind of lots of gaffer tape and soldering, soldering irons and things, trying to keep things together in terms of the equipment. And, of course, the brilliant drum machine that... Um, Phil and Stewart's cousin actually made from a kit. Right. Um, which was, you know, that's before, you know, just before drum machines really became available, you know, off the peg. So, uh, yeah. Very, it's very basic. It was very basic. What, how you could program it was very limited, mm. but it kind of almost those limitations created the sound, really. Yeah, and I think you know, because um, I know in the not long after Colossal Youth, you had things like the Lindrum. I know, I know that's like a pioneering drum machine, and sure, sure. Um, but I think yeah, you know, it, it does add this 
kind of special austere quality to that record that the the colossal youth record that I don't yeah, austere suppose... is a good good description actually it's a good yeah good way of describing it is <laughs> uh, yeah and it kind of you know and it does sort of sound it doesn't sound like 1980 you know it, it's it's often compiled in in the best of 1980 sort of lists or whatever but it does seem to have this uh, just it doesn't it doesn't seem um troubled by um production trends of the era or or it doesn't it just seems to kind of just have this timelessness i think and i think i think it's down to that you know the the this this, this diy primitive um approach but when done right you know i think it sounds great what when you guys were doing those demos did you ever um this kind of skeletal sound and, and the kind of diy nature of it and the minimalness of it was that always the the the, the intent or did that just kind of did you have did you, did you ever foresee that perhaps when you were going to make the actual ep or the actual album that you would fill fill in those spaces with more instrumentation or flesh things out more i don't think there was ever a plan from from anyone to kind of flesh them out i think we were looking for a sound that was mm. um, spacious. And uh, I mean, we were all into different music, but we also all enjoyed similar music as well. So, mm. um, you know, we were all listening to kind of reggae and King Tubby and, you know, that that, that kind of uh, Stuart's guitar, you know, had that, that kind of rhythmic um, quality to it. Um, you know, in terms of the organ, that was the semitone out of tune. So that gave us a very, and it made it a hell of a job to sing along to it and to keep the instruments in tune with it because, because Phil and Stuart would tune up the guitars and then it, we'd go on to a, um, a keyboard number and uh, it would be, yeah, retune time again. And it was, uh, yeah, it just gave it its own own quality really all of it the the drum machine i think it didn't lock us into a period because it wasn't one that everybody was buying and playing and using of course um yeah. you know phil's bass i think at one point he went to get it repaired and um whoever did the the repair on it kind of rewired it and it had been wired up wrongly so it had a, a slightly and you so it, it kind of lost its original oh, really? sound yeah yeah wow so there were all these little quirks to all the, you know, kinds of um, basic equipment that we had that, you know, it just added something to the sound, um, which I don't think we were fully aware of at the time. It was just like, yeah, that's a good bass sound. And of course, Phil didn't really play the bass in a conventional way. He played a very melodic bass line. Um, and he, he, you know, it was very melodic and it, it danced with the, the drum rhythms um, very well. And also, um, you know, Phil and Stuart had a very, um, I guess it's something about being brothers as well. You know, they had this very intuitive um, way of playing together, which mm. uh, added to the magic. When, when did you last listen to that album all the way through? Years. Probably at one point when it was being re-released. Oh, really? Um, many, many moons. Yes, I never, I never listened to it. I never. I mean, it's all kind of CDs and drawers and albums on shelves. But it's, it, yeah, I don't sit down and listen to it, which is interesting. That's why it was so mind blowing. Um, going back to that uh, 
reimagining really was to to actually remember the songs yeah and, and it's not to say i wouldn't expect you to be having it on your your spotify every other week but uh yeah but just uh i suppose yeah, does the moment take you where you think you just for whatever reason just think just you just want to sit and just kind of hear some of that old material maybe maybe if life wasn't so busy <laughs> yeah sure of course <laughs> i think it's that you know is that thing really of um you just well i i've just found you know life's gone from one phase to the next and you know and you're i was busy with music then i was busy with other work then chiropractic training working as a chiropractor bringing up a family you know and it just it's it's that thing of when you have five minutes, I might just knock on six music or or the latest album I've bought or CD rather than uh, kind of dive back into reflection mode. Sure. Maybe that's okay. something for retirement, Tom. Got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> If you're aware of bands like, you know, The Cure, Joy Division, sort of when you were making um, Colossal Youth, because whilst I think there's definitely a lot that separates Colossal Youth from from Unknown Pleasures or 17 Seconds, or there is a there is a kind of shared, that kind of minimal, sparse kind of expanse sort of sound. I was just wondering, you know, did, did, did those records have any kind of influence or were they on your radar at all? Not on my radar, and I don't think too much on Phil and Stewart's either. I think once we um, got a deal with Rough, Rough Trade, mm. um, that opened up our, our kind of world a lot more to what was going on in London, Manchester, you know. Mm. Um, just, yeah, more of the in, independent kind of indie. We were just locked into our own little bubble, as far as I was aware, anyway. Mm. Um, and those were all bands that, you know, we kind of uh, got to know of and explore. And, and uh, yeah, well, in my case, you know, with some of them really got to love them as uh, as a discovery later on. But it wasn't an influence in any way. Yeah. Who were who were your um, contemporaries in, in Wales at that time? You know, in the, you know, what bands, you know, or if you could educate me, you know, what bands kind of uh, are like the lost gems of the Cardiff uh, music scene of that time. Well, I mean, one one you'll know of will be um, Scritti Politti. Of course, they were kind of not not Cardiff <clears throat> so much, but um, South Wales. So there was Green Gartside and Scritti Politti, and there were a whole load of local bands that were on um, the uh, compilation album. Is the War Over? Um, that yeah. were playing at, at you know, so there were a lot of rock rock venues and pubs and clubs where it was. So you, you had a great um, reggae scene down in Tiger Bay in the, you know, at the docks area. Mm -hmm. um, great, you know, great club there called um, the Casablanca where you could go to really fantastic reggae nights. And then overall, most of the clubs um, were booking... Um, rock and roll blues bands some great blues band blues players and there wasn't that much on the indie kind of um scene in terms of places to go and play so a lot of us used to play at this uh youth center called uh grassroots so it was a coffee bar and it was a drop-in place for 
you know, for young people to to go and hang out and uh, play some music or what have you. And it's still going today, which is fantastic. It's survived oh, through, wow. through many, many, you know, with with um, funding. And it's actually expanded now. It's got studio space and uh, you can you can do all sorts of things like learn how to make a video or learn how to produce a record or learn how to, you know, it's it's a great, great space, um, which is, you know, available to people who want to to do more with music or film or some creativity. That's exactly what we need, isn't it? Uh, more centres like that and more um, uh, more resources available. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. Yeah, that's really great. Um, so sorry, I led off a bit there, but in terms of yeah, in terms of bands, um, if you check out "Is the War Over" that compilation album, mm -hmm. there are a lot of um, bands which don't exist anymore, but they were local bands and they were kind of friends and allies, really, um, in terms of uh, the music we were listening to. A lot of familiar, you know, yeah. kind of similar tastes, and yeah. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, we'll do. Um, uh, who? Um... Uh, who are there any are there any figures uh, that inspired your singing voice? No, not at all. No, no, no. It's just um, it's just my voice, and it's just how I've always delivered it. I've not had any vocal training, um, and never had anyone. I know later on, I was compared, especially when I. Uh, started to work on the weekend material I was um compared to people like Astrid Gilberto and uh but I didn't she wasn't on my radar at that time I didn't know I didn't know of her existence mm. um but no no there was just it it was it was just um how I approached it really so I mean that loads loads of singers that I admired and but never uh never really tried to emulate yeah there's, there's something um there's there's quite a confidence in in approaching uh something like that with just uh with just a kind of relying on relying on your gut instinct i suppose you know face uh, um, cheek would you call it <laughs> well <laughs> arguably um but i suppose maybe that's what maybe when you're you're 19 20 i suppose that that um that comes a bit more naturally to go you know, to people where you just you'll know, just sort of give anything a go but um, was there any nerves? Was there any nerves when at the at the prospect of you know you you lending your voice to to these Absolutely. demos? And... Absolutely, it was. I mean, I used to be in bands in school, and um, you know there was a friend of mine who uh, we were in school bands with, and I was actually with one when we met Phil and Stuart, and we were in a band as backing singers together. Oh, right. um, but it was all just. I never ever ever contemplated a career in music I just loved music and loved singing and yeah and it was just something to do for fun so actually it got a bit more serious when I started singing with um, Phil and Stuart because Stuart did have that drive mm. to try and do something with music um, so suddenly I was on board with no great plan um, so it wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to put my voice out there and, you know, I'm going to make a career of this. So I think that's, there were lots of nerves because suddenly I was in this position where I was singing in a band and people were 
starting to make a bit of noise about it, write about it and take it seriously. And I wasn't actually taking myself seriously at all. So that that was all a bit scary, really, because I suddenly felt like, actually, maybe I should be better at this or I should be a bit more professional about this. Yeah, I mean, if, if that was your... You know, if that was your feeling about it, where you were being a little bit more, um, taking things a little bit less seriously, a little bit more irreverent about it, uh, that must have been quite a whirlwind few years. Because, I mean, uh, one band had been and gone. You'd, you'd released a studio album. You won Old Grey Whistle Test doing Weekend. All of a sudden, I mean, that must have been... You might... You, I, I mean, did you? were there any points where you had to stop and go, hang on a minute, just sort of, you know, it had to slow down a bit? To be honest, my, my brain's still catching up, I think. <laughs> right. It, it it didn't, you know, there, there was no plan and there was no, it, it just felt like, you know, it was almost like this gust of wind and I just got swept up on it. And mm. um, yeah, uh, it, it was, it was all as much of a surprise to me as anyone else, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm a big, um, I'm a big Cabaret Voltaire fan. Yes, the Cavs. We we played with them in the States. Yeah. Lovely like, guys. I was lovely gonna ask, guys. yeah, how was that? Yeah. Oh, it was great. They they were just so lovely to tour with. Mm. Um and I, I love their music. So I get I probably get more excited when I hear them coming on to you know six <laughs> music now. Yeah. So you don't hear them often enough, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think they they I think they ended up with our keyboard in the end. Did they? When when Young Marble Giants disbanded, yeah. Oh right! I'm pretty sure they did. So some of those, oh, some of those subsequent albums may may well have the uh, the the. They might the... do. I don't right. know. <laughs> oh, okay, um, I thought you meant stole it. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Gifted. I, I think I Stuart, or Stuart might have sold it. I don't know. <laughs> right, okay, um, and uh, I, you you played the um, the Futurama Festival in nineteen eighty, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. I, I I looked at the I looked at the lineup for that a couple of days ago. Uh, not bad, not bad at all. Very surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Susie, Susie, um, and the Banshees were playing. Mm-hmm. I remember Gary Glitter was playing. Um, yeah. <laughs> Buster Blunt Vessel. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah, that was quite an experience. Yeah, I think I think I saw um, I think I saw U 2s credits on there. Do you remember them? You know, you could be right. Yeah. It's all a bit of a blur. Yeah. I'm sure it was. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how, how did uh, how did Weekend uh, come about? So Weekend, um, after Young Marble Giants... Uh, disbanded I started just so Spike who I've worked with over the years who was in Weekend and Spike was you know Staten Spike um, he was one of the instigators for putting the Is the War Over compilation together so he was one of the founder members of Zedblock Records in Cardiff which was just an independent um, label Zedblock Records, it was those guys who took the compilation album around London from, you know, record store to record store, trying to get them to take a few copies to sell. And it was when they got to Rough Trade that and Jeff listened to it and said he wanted to 
um, speak to young Marvel giants and offer us a deal. Um, that that's how that all came about. So I was I was friendly with Spike from before the deal, and yeah. then after Young Marble Giants disbanded, um, Spike and I just got together. You know, it was just like calling around each other's houses. You know, trying out a few ideas in terms of a melody, or I would have a bass line, or you know, he'd have a guitar part, and we we kind of um, just mess about a bit, and put a few ideas down on tape. So we were talking about developing that further when I suddenly decided to move up to London um, and have a change of scenery. Mm -hmm. And Simon Emerson, who sadly died earlier this year, um, got in touch with me. He was working at Mole Jazz Records at the time, and uh, he wanted to do some music together. So... I met up with him and we kind of just chatted about musical ideas and everything. And I thought, well, if we can bring Spike and Simon together, maybe we could, you know, rather than working on lots of different projects, just make that one project. And Spike and I already had some kind of little frameworks for, for you know, for starting on some songs. Um so that's what we did. And it was quite an interesting dynamic because Spike and I, it was very minimal, very spacious. Mm-hmm. Um, and Simon was very excited about bringing in lots of session musicians. And so it was quite a transformation of those early songs um, into something much bigger. And it became very exciting, actually, playing with um Dawson Miller on percussion. Roy Dodds was a fantastic drummer. There was um, Harry Beckett played trumpet with us. We had Larry Stubbins. He played fantastic flute and saxophone. And it was just just like a big party. It was lovely. Spike had got a bit more into high life um, guitar by this this point. So um, it was just a really nice combination. And I must say it was... It was um, it was good fun gigging with a big bunch like that because there were plenty of other distractions and I didn't feel quite like I was standing in the middle of two very tall men playing <laughs> very minimal music and <laughs> yeah yeah I was, I was, it's slightly I was, less scary actually right I see so um, so you found that quite quite a, a welcome contrary uh, to the uh, sort of uh, the, the setup of Young Marble Giants. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't again. It wasn't my plan. But that's you know, I ended up at the party and and enjoyed it and had a lot of respect for all the you know all the musicians um, I was working with. Mm. So it uh, yeah, it took me in a direction I wasn't. So that again, that direction wasn't really consciously led by me at all. Yeah. Um, but but Simon Simon had a very good knack of I mean he went on to do a lot of other projects and producing and he he had a very very good knack at pulling you know various <clears throat> musicians together and uh, get you know producing a sound. Sure. Um. So yeah, I know that with Weekend that's about eighty two I believe eighty two eighty three uh, and there's quite a few years where I I don't. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, uh, you, you, you're not particularly active up until uh, Divine and um, uh, Staten. That's right, yeah. yeah. So I'd moved back to Cardiff at that point. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I was working as a care worker and teaching Tai Chi. So I'd come back to Cardiff, studied Tai Chi and got involved on the, the teaching side of it. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't thinking about doing any more music or being in any more bands. And in some ways I felt like, well, uh, being not particularly confident um, with live performances that I was actually more comfortable not doing that anymore. And then um, Ian and his friend Mark turned up at my flat having, you know, just wanting to have a chat. So I, I knew them, you know, they were all mutual, you know, kind of mutual contacts in Cardiff, wanting to have a chat um, to discuss maybe me singing on some of Ian's songs. And I don't know, I don't know, Some somehow it was just, um, it was interesting enough. I heard some of his music and it was tempting enough. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm not responsible for it. It's his music and it'll be good fun to do something. And it was good fun, actually. We did uh, two albums together. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I liked his songwriting and, uh, yeah, he was he was uh, good to work with. So we we just kind of went to and that's that's then when things started to pick up again and spike and i started to do a bit more work after that yeah so there's a there's a constant theme here where it seems to be um uh, you, you're going with the tide a lot that's what i've done yeah. <laughs> but it's worked out for you even, but, um... even becoming a chiropractor i went with the tide because i was interested in doing, i was teaching tai chi working with um a stroke and MS group with adapted exercises, mm. um, you know, was kind of meeting up with, coming into contact with physios and then thought, oh, I'd be quite interested in doing the physiotherapy course. Went to a birthday party, talked to somebody about wanting to, you know, um, study physiotherapy and they told me they were a chiropractor and why, why didn't I become a chiropractor? Come and have a treatment, see what you think. Um, so, yeah, and that was actually somebody from one of my Tai Chi classes who uh, persuaded me to apply for the chiropractic course. So, I, you know, I just kind of drift, really. Yeah, you've had quite a fruitful create, uh, creative relationship with Spike. Um, can you describe the... The creative dynamic uh, when working together, um, because that's been, I believe there's been four studio albums, but that's been across about 15 years. That's, that must be your longest running project um, musically. Sure. sure. It's, it's, it's because it's had to, it's had to fit in around um, chiropractic training, mm -hmm. um, uh, building a practice, uh, you know, with my work um running running a practice with some colleague for, colleagues for a while um bringing up children while i was doing that yeah uh all the demands and you know kind of other things of family life older parents um oh. yeah <laughs> all of those things so everything's had to fit in you know around and and a relationship you know kind of married with a husband you know you you have to that that's uh you know that that's you want to give that time and attention as well so mm. it's actually um and 
spikes, you know, spikes had stuff going on in his life. So we've just and we've we've lived apart, London and and Cardiff for a long time in the past. So it's all had to fit around life rather than life fitting around music. Mm, yeah, um, and and when when you when you are well, how much of uh, how much of your recent album uh, Bimini Twist? How much of that was even spent in the studio together? Because I'm guessing with with the te- recent technology, you, you might you might well have been able to work remotely, right, or send over. We we did a yeah we did a bit of remote stuff, but yeah. um, Spike was in Cardiff at that point. He's right. he's not in Cardiff again now, but he was in Cardiff at that point. And so often we do a bit of remote work, and then I would go over because he had you know the basic studio equipment there. I would go over and. Uh, He'd make some broccoli soup and do a Sudoku while I was putting down the uh, the vocal tracks. So, right, okay. Yeah. Right. We'd usually have, you know, a bit of a catch-up and then he'd get the lunch on, you know. Mm. It would be on one of my days off where I wasn't working at the, the practice and he'd put the lunch on. I would uh, put the vocal tracks down and then, then we'd eat and I'd, I'd uh, clear off back home again. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um... That sounds that sounds lovely. <laughs> yep, all very homely. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, <laughs> not very rock and roll, but it's. I was about uh, to say, it, there's no, there's no TV for us. Yeah, yeah, there's no TVs out of windows there, is there? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what listening to the Shady Tree, um, uh, what really struck me about the the sonic production of that album and the, and the arrangement and the kind of instrumentation, uh, it. it Again, a bit like Colossal Youth, that it does feel, it doesn't sound like the late nineties to me. It it, it kind of sounds um, like it shares a similar son, a similar sonic space to almost, well, not exactly, but almost a bit like uh, Grimes or some of that kind of glitchy electronica sort of ambient stuff that you hear a lot. Um, that's become quite popular at the moment. Uh, I'll just again just asking, you know, when, when, when was when was the last time you, you actually listened to that album, or, um, or what was your thoughts on? Yeah, was you aware that it had a kind of a unique uh, character when you were making it? I think, I think, yes, I was aware of the uniqueness of it. Um, always, whenever, whenever I kind of saw the uniqueness, um, there was all always an element of concern about how that would be received. Because, of course, we've never done high tech, high quality. Studio work. The the closest um, I ever got to that really was working with um, Weekend and Robin Miller in in the studio in London, and um, you know having people like Simon Jeffs come along and do the string arrangements, things like that, uh, and yeah, uh, doing some recording in Brussels with with Ian as well. So you know Ian Ian Divine and. Uh, yeah, so when yes, I was aware of the uniqueness, not quite sure how it would be received, you know, how it would sit, whether it would even, you know, get mm. out there and be listened to, to be honest. Yeah. Um well yeah, as I as I say, yeah, it did it did strike me as um uh a, a little bit like uh, some of the some some of the stuff Bjork was doing at the time. Um just seemed, I, I don't know, just seem just yeah it just seemed to make sense with the, what I hear a lot, in a lot of electronic music at the moment um mm-hmm. anyway <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of Bjork so that's, that's right uh... well, there you go <laughs> yeah. um 
I did see Young Marble Giants. Um, I saw you guys in Union Chapel. Um, oh, wow. 2013, yeah. I believe. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those gigs where I remember kind with of the lovely eggs with the lovely, right. lovely eggs. That's yeah. right. Yeah, they were supporting. Yeah, um, and I remember it, it, it was one of those gigs where when, sometimes when you're sort of idly scrolling at, at what's on in the next coming up, I, I, I sort of double take. I, I saw Young Marble Giants. That can't be right. I wasn't. I wasn't aware that you were an active unit at the time. Uh, but it was. It was a great gig, and you know um, what. What inspired? Uh, what what inspired? I, I don't want to say reunion, but you know, what inspired you guys to get together and do those those gigs? None of us ever thought we'd play together again. Yeah, um, we'd all just moved on in other directions, and um, it was uh, Julie Tipex, Marie oh. Pierre of Julie Tipex. Mm-hmm. She contacted us. First of all, we got contacted. There was a re-release um, through Domino Records mm-hmm. of Colossal Youth. Yeah. And um, we were asked to just do a showcase at the Hay Festival for the re-release. Mm-hmm. And we thought, oh, yeah, nice, you know, middle-aged, cosy, comfy book festival, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, we can do that. That's safe. The kids can all come along. You know, we'll 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 do that one off. Um, we did that one off, and um, what was lovely was there were a lot of people who hadn't managed to see us first time around mm. who actually came to that that gig, which was and it was really lovely to meet those people and and hear their appreciation and how much you know the gig had, the, the album had meant to them and everything else, and. Um, Judy Tipex uh, approached us and asked us to do a gig in Paris on the back of that. Right. And um, and we were kind of a bit reluctant. Probably I was the most reluctant of them all. But then the bribery of, well, bring your whole family and you can have a holiday weekend in Paris, you know, easy, just doesn't, doesn't take much really to sway me. Well, that, that that certainly sweetens the deal, doesn't it? Free holiday. Really did sweeten it. Yes, yeah. it really did sweeten it. So we went over and did a, a gig in Paris then. And then then they just kept on, you know, kind of offering us some um, other gigs. And uh, Pascal, our agent, you know, who, who worked with uh, Judy Tipex, was uh, always taking good care of us and made, you know, made life feel very easy whenever we had to go anywhere or do a gig and... Uh, it was actually nice to get together again with, um, you know, as as grown-ups rather than, you know, kind of uh, moody ad- adolescents that we were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And spend some time together. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, um, I mean, the, the gig, uh, I, I, to my mind, the gig sounded great and, and you all played really tight. And uh, yeah, it just, yeah, there's been a few gigs in my time where I, I sort of remember thinking to myself, I just didn't think I'd see this. And that was one of them, yeah. Well, we were probably, you know, we probably didn't think we'd see it at one point either. So right. it's, yeah. uh, it was almost as much of a surprise to us. Don't get pitted, so pitted like that. Well, actually, you know what? 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 Do you have any other future upcoming musical projects at all in the, in the pipeline? 
No, I started um, I started doing some writing uh, with somebody a couple of years ago and for various reasons um, I had to kind of back out of that and, and let go of it. And I guess, <clears throat> um, yeah, when, when that happened, I realised I hadn't quite lost that. Because what I love about being in a band isn't the live performance and the although touring and you know meeting meeting people is wonderful i love that mm. side of it um i love going you know kind of traveling but um it's the being on stage that nerve-wracking kind of hour or whatever you spend yeah. on there kind of um trying not to die on your feet <laughs> uh it's the creative process it's the writing and mm. it's the you know just developing something um uh that that part of it I really miss even even I've kind of stopped writing because I used to always write anyway whether I was doing music or not and uh you know I've, I've stopped with that recently and and uh realized I'm missing that creative outlet sure yeah, yeah. so who knows there's nothing nothing in the pipeline um and I, I don't have any plans um but I've I've said never again a few times, and that hasn't hasn't been the case. So I've I've decided to say never, say never again. Got it. Right. Yeah. Uh, what are you listening to at the moment? What's what's um you know what what's on your what's on heavy rotation at your uh, on your on your headphones at the moment? Oh no, it's it's just all the varied. A lot of African music. Oh right. I love world music. Mm. Anything that Giles Peterson plays, I'm kind of exploring. I mean, I love Giles Peterson, you know, his his show, his 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 mix is so eclectic. Um so lot, you know, just lots of music I've heard on his um, Jan Supernova plays some really, you know, she's done some great Brazilian sessions recently and uh yeah, kind of a lot of world music, I would say, but also, you know, sometimes I hear stuff on the radio and I might not go out and buy it, but there's a lot of uh, new young bands coming through, which are, um, you know, really exciting too. It just never stops, does it? You know, that creativity, that flow, it's just from generation to generation. It's just, uh, it's always flowing, which is yeah. lovely. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I, I think, you know, I think music right now is 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 never been it's never been better. So certainly in my adult sort of young young from from when I was like a teenager, or whatever, you know, uh, music music is in, in a great place right now. I I think a lot of, a lot of challenges in terms of the industry and things, but um, sure, sure, the creativity it's not, it's, itself, you know. Yeah, I mean, for for the for the musicians to make a living of it, it's mm. it's never been easy, and I think it's. Um, yeah, in some ways, it's it's a few make it, a few can make their living from it, but I think it's harder and harder as uh, you know as time goes on. Really, the, the, the musicians are always screwed over in some way, um, but just to get their music heard and be able to you know kind of put their voice out there is is um is yeah it's really really important. Yeah, yeah. Um... If you were to choose one song that represents the four different projects you've been involved in, uh, what would they be? (laughs) 
one song out of all the, all the not, not your favorite necessarily but just just you no. know if, if somebody had never heard your music before like what, what what's the four track sampler that you give them you know to represent uh each each act so young marble giants i would say final day mm-hmm. yeah okay weekend um Mm. We can maybe view from her room. Mm-hmm. Um, Staten and Spike. Uh, oof. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, maybe something off the weekend in Wales. Mm-hmm. EP. Yeah. Yeah. And Divine Staten. Uh, Oh, how about turn the aerials away from England or something like that? <laughs> All right, okay, great. Um, oh, well, listen, uh, uh, thank you so much for your time, Alison. I've really enjoyed this. It's been great chatting to you. And uh, um, yeah, no, no, thank you for taking some time out your Thursday to to indulge. No, the it's great. It's great, actually, to be able to stop and sit down and have a chat with you, Tom. So, oh, uh, And I will keep an eye on Heads on Sticks and... Uh, continue to see what comes up and have a listen see who you're chatting to brilliant thank you all the best with it all and uh yeah stay with the flow yeah do a bit of drifting i'll I'll remember uh the 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 staten rule keep (laughs) keep going with the coast yeah um brilliant all right have a great day thank you to meet you and you bye-bye take care enjoy the rest of your day take care Nice. Um, that was great. That was a real thrill there. Uh, I've been a huge fan of um, Alison Statton's work, uh, you know, in particular Young Marble Giants and and uh, and Weekend. Um, I, well, you know, I've been listening to those those records for years. So very, uh, very surreal to be um, uh, chatting to to Alison. Uh, but it, yeah, but I, uh, I loved it, and I, I'm I'm sure you guys did too. Um, yeah, so big thanks to um, uh, Alison for taking the time out um, uh, to have a chat with me. Uh, and uh, yeah, and if you haven't listened to any of, um, her, I mean, I'm sure most of you are aware of um, you know Colossal Youth, and but do do check out um, Weekend, uh, Divine and Staten and, and uh, Staten and Spike. You know, uh, there's um, uh, a whole a whole other trove of. Um, you know, uh, really interesting kind of kind of left field, you know, pop and all kinds of music, folk, I suppose, uh, jazzy kind of jazzy experiments, uh, all in there. Very um, a real heady brew of uh, of interesting music, all all held together by her sort of um, uh, very unique, very distinct uh, voice that you know inspired um, many after her. Um, I try to think what's what's happening in the in the world of Heads on Sticks. Uh, there will be the next Heads on Sticks show at Arja Radio at November, on November third, so uh, tune into that. Um, but there's not much else news, <laughs> uh, so there you go. Um, if you like the podcast and uh, you like what I do, as always, please give the podcast a like or a star or a thumbs up or whatever it is. Tell your friends. Uh, and if you're feeling particularly generous, do give the um, the review, uh, well, give a written review on the on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that would be great. Uh, but yeah, um, that's been me. Uh, big thanks to Alison uh, Staten, 
Um, and also a uh, big thanks to Julie Tipex as well for um, sort of making it happen. And uh, tune in our next month for number 20 of Heads on Six Chats. And I'll saw, see you all again soon. Cheers, guys. All the best. <laughs>